The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Uh, I get questions from time to time about the fact that I'm an, I am a primitive Baptist. I'm a member of a primitive Baptist church. And often I get questions about, well, what is it that makes a difference between primitive Baptist and say some other kind of Baptist or any other denomination out there what is it that, that separates you if you will in the sense of distinguishes you from others uh, out there in the world and, and I also find as I go about uh, in the world there are many misunderstandings about primitive Baptists and what they have traditionally believed and what uh, the mainline primitive Baptists today believe Often we get tagged as what they call fatalists. Uh, what is to be, will be. Uh, heard one man say one time, I believe what is to be, will be, if it never happens. And uh, y'all think about that, you'll get it in a minute. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I wanted this morning, I felt like, I've been strongly burdened about this and to try to hopefully explain a little bit in the message this morning about what Primitive Baptist churches, and particularly what Zion, Primitive Baptist Church, believes. Now, in order to do that, I think we first have to deal with what we do not believe here at this church. And, and one of the things that, uh, that one of the divisions out in the religious world today is a division between uh, what we call Calvinists on one side and Armenians on the other. Now, that's just a name that theologians use to delineate those who follow the teachings of John Calvin on the one hand and those who follow the teachings of a man named James Arminius who was opposed to what John Calvin believed. So often we're all put into the categories of Calvinists or Arminians. And in, in, in the, let me just go ahead and let you in on a little secret. Primitive Baptists don't fit into either category. They're really not a good fit either place. And that's important to remember. First of all, we are not Calvinists because the Calvinists believe in something called absolute predestination. We do not believe in absolute predestination. That simply means we do not believe that every single thing that happens out there was predestinated uh, eternally by God and that there's no varying and no changing of that. When I, when I get in my car and I run a red light and I T-bone another guy, which I did a few weeks ago, uh, God didn't predestinate that to happen. You know what caused that to happen? I was looking at the wrong red light. I was looking at a block down there. I'll tell you what really caused it, Brother Dalton. It was those crazy red lights in California. They're sitting on the side instead of up in the air. But anyway, that's another story altogether. <laughs> so, so everything that happens is not uh, eternally and in, in, in unchangeably determined by God. In the early 1920s, that swept through this area and took over many churches, including Zion at one time. But this has not been the traditional belief of primitive Baptists. But because of this error, many people think that's what we believe. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about. I think I've already done that. But, but what that teaching is, is that all things, including sin, are eternally set in the mind and plan of God and cannot be varied. And essentially, we're all just puppets 
doing whatever God has determined for us to do with no free will whatsoever. Well, there's a, there's a verse in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 that destroys that argument. It actually destroys both the Calvinist position and the Arminian position, but we'll come back to that in a minute. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, we read this. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I want you to notice something here. The first man that he's referring to is Adam. You want to know why bad things happen in this life? Blame it on Adam. <laughs> Blame it on Adam. That's exactly why. Adam, it says, as by one man's disobedience, sin, many were made sinners. In, in verse 12, it says, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam is the cause of sin. If you want to know who the author of sin is, it's not God. It is not God. God cannot be charged with sin, and God does not care for sin. He hates sin. He will not have sin. He will not deal with it. We're told in Habakkuk that he is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot, uh, cannot be in the presence of sin. Beloved, he hates sin. And notice what it says. It was by one man's disobedience. Now listen, if all things were unchangeably fixed forever in the mind and purpose of God, then what Adam did in the garden wasn't disobedience. It was obedience. <laughs> Right? That, don't, that doesn't carry water. Then the word of God is untrue, and there's a problem here if that's the truth of God's word. But, beloved, it's not because Adam disobeyed God. Adam did not do what God uh, intended for him to do. You know, Adam really is the only man who's ever lived that had true free will. He had true free will. And some of us would say, well, I wish I'd have been there, preacher. You're telling me that sin passed upon me because of what Adam did. Boy, if I'd have been there, I'd have done better. You'd have done different, all right. You'd have probably run straight to the tree and grabbed the fruit. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem I've got. I'm not just, you know, Adam was our perfect representative. God knew what he was doing when he created Adam. He, he was a whole lot better looking and in better shape than you and I are, okay? His DNA was perfect when he was created. In fact, he lived 930 years. People always get up there, oh, that's a myth, that's not the way. Listen, there's an easy explanation for why people, are, those ancient patriarchs lived so long, their DNA was better than ours. You know, over time, sin corrupted the very DNA of, 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 God's, of everyone in this earth, all of Adam's descendants, but at the time, they were in good shape. They lived 900-something years. And in that day, Adam was our perfect representative he was the best representative of what man could do you say if you'd have been there you'd have done different listen i know if i'd have been there i'd have sinned quicker than adam did because i'm just adam multiplied <clears throat> let me just say this too one of the important things to keep in mind about what primitive baptists believe is that there's two different types of salvation taught in the word of god You'll see some places where uh, eternal salvation is under consideration. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, He shall save his people from their sins. He says there that he's going to save us from our sins. And it's not a question. It's not an if, and, or a but. He shall save us from our sins, you see. Well, that's eternal, beloved. That's 
That's fixed in the mind and purpose of God. We're told in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. It says, or 28, it's a very famous verse. Most people know verse 28, but they don't know verses 29 and 30, which verse 28 is pointing us to. He says in verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Does that mean all things without exception, including the sins of God's people? No, it's not talking about that. The all things he's referring to is what he's about to tell us here. All things work together to them, for, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, this is all things. This is beautiful, beloved. For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Beloved, those three verses right there capture what primitive Baptists believe and have believed down through the centuries of time. It captures what we believe here at this church about salvation that God in the time past, in eternity past, saw that man would need a savior and he sent that savior and that savior died on the cross and he paid the sin debt for his people and he accomplished their salvation and praise God he, in, in time we are quickened and made alive so that we can understand these things and know these things and have a vital relationship with God and one day he's coming back to get us. <laughs> it's pretty simple isn't it? <laughs> and I've already jumped to the end of my message right there. <laughs> I was going to save that up for the last but let me tell you I can't save that for the last because that's the good news of the gospel of the grace of God <laughs> we do not believe that all things are inevitably and unchangeably predestinated by God we do believe that our eternal destiny is set by the Lord and purposed by God and that he has loved us so much that he doesn't leave it to chance but in this life I said already we've got two types of salvation there's a, there's a timely salvation out there did you know I could have saved myself several thousand dollars and the embarrassment of having brother Dalton text me about running that red light if I just watched to see where the red lights were so brother Dalton got me pretty good on that one I could have saved myself from that by making a different choice. Now that doesn't get me to heaven, does it? I almost got to heaven quicker, Brother Dalton. <laughs> it doesn't get me to heaven, but it, it gets me a little bit of help down here. You know that by being here in church this morning, you have saved yourself from this crooked generation, this untoward generation. You didn't have to be here this morning. You could have gone fishing. You could have gone somewhere else, but by coming here to this church or wherever you go to church on Sunday morning, by choosing to go, you save yourself every Sunday. You know, I don't need just one time. I need one eternal saving, Brother Mackey, but I need to be saved every single day from the sin that does so easily beset me. I do not believe, we do not believe in the absolute predestination of all things. And I'll tell you something else we don't believe. Often, I get this question. So you believe God predestinated some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. 
That was a Calvinistic doctrine. John Calvin taught that. He believed that. He, he believed in what we call double predestination. God predestined some to heaven, and he predestined some to hell. Let me tell you something about election and predestination. First of all, don't get nervous about those words. Those words are nothing to get nervous about. They're, they're things to rejoice in, beloved. Election and predestination have nothing to do with hell. You wanna, we don't need God's help getting to hell. Adam set us on that path in the Garden of Eden. We are, we are by nature uh, children that, uh, that ought to be in hell. We ought, you know, if you look over in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 1, he says, uh, You at the quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. I'm going to turn over there and read that. I like that too much not to do that. In chapter 2 and verse 1, You at the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen to this, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. <clears throat> you don't need God's help getting to hell. We're told that sin entered into this world by Adam and death by sin. And death passed upon all men. For the, By the way, you don't get a pass and say, oh, well, man, if it wasn't for Adam, I'd be okay. No, well, if it wasn't for Adam, you know, you, you, you could say, if some people say, well, I, I've lived a perfect life, but I'm just, because of Adam, I'm going to hell. Well, you hadn't lived a perfect life, okay? By saying that, you sinned, <laughs> if you think you lived a perfect life. See, he says, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We are sinners by nature, by choice, and by practice. Now, we're not sinners we don't, become, we don't become sinners when we sin, but we sin because we're sinners, you see. And what he's telling us here is that there was a time when, when we were dead in trespasses and in sins and that there was, we were merrily, if you will, on our way to hell. We didn't need God's help getting to heaven. Anyone in hell today can blame Adam and not God. You see, the electing grace of God as we find it in Romans chapter 9, is a precious thing. And it only has to do with saving people from hell. It has to do with the compassion of God. Listen to chapter t uh, 9 of Romans at verse 10. He gives us here an example of the electing grace of God by using two children that had not yet been born, uh, uh, Jacob and, and Esau. In verse 10, it says, not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. That pretty much does away with us doing something in order to get to heaven. Because it's not of works, it's, it's of him that calleth. You say, well, it's not about a work, preacher, it's about a choice. Well, let me ask you something. I don't know about you. But a lot of what I do has to do with making choices at work. I have to decide at work. And, you know, I've even been out there on the farm a good bit lately, and sometimes it's not the labor that's so hard. It's the making decisions that, about what to do next is hard. <laughs> Matter of fact, any decision you make, if you really boil it down to the scientific explanation for it, is a work. It's the exp expenditure of energy. You've got little neurons in your brain that fire electrical impulses that, that cause, that, that make you, uh, when you make a decision, that's how it works. And, and I'll tell you this, some of the decisions I've made in my life have been the hardest work I've ever done. <laughs> Oh my, 
It's not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Some people take issue with that verse. I do too, but not for the reason you think. My question is not how he hated Esau, but how in the world could he have loved Jacob? You read about the life of that man. You read about what a conniver and what a liar and what a cheat he was. Do you read about all the things, how even after he, he was born again, even after he had an encounter with God, he still struggled and he treated one of his children better than the other, so much so that the other, other ten hated him and sold him into slavery. He messed, you talk about a messed up, you think your life's messed up? Have you had any children yet that were ostensibly murdered by the other children? You know, they, they really didn't kill him. They just told their father that, a bear, a bear or a wildcat had eaten Joseph. But in reality, what they did is worse than death, really. They took him and sold him into slavery. You think your life's messed up? Hey, old Jacob got you beat, but yet it says, Jacob, have I loved? And then he says, what should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Often, that's a question I get when we start talking about the doctrine of election and predestination. Is there unrighteousness with God? I understand. People ask, well, that wouldn't be fair, would it? You know what his response is? It's twofold. First of all, it's like when I, when I would question my daddy, okay? Why, daddy? And that depended on my attitude a little bit. If I got up his face and said, why, daddy? Well, if I ever did that, Mr. Hayward, it probably wasn't any more answers coming. It was just a, you know, just, just a, an action. If I got up in his face and belligerently, pridefully said, why? You know what he'd tell me? Because I'm your daddy and I said so. <laughs> you get to it, boy. Well, that's kind of the first answer he gives you. He says, is there unrighteousness? You'll say, uh, what should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is this not fair? The first answer is, God forbid. Don't you charge God with unrighteousness? Do you not know God? Do you not understand from the word of God how, how he is the very epitome of righteousness? He is always doing right. We're told even Abraham in a meek and humble way asked this rhetorical question to God in the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the implied answer is absolutely the judge of all the earth is always going to do right. So there's no need to ever question him. And if you do, you just don't understand who God is. He's not just this great Zeus-like figure with a lightning bolt ready, ready to zap you when you do wrong. He's also the one of whom it said, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that love him. You know, I need that sometimes. Sometimes I need the righteous judge to remind me who he is, but sometimes I need the great father that pities me. Sometimes in the dark recesses of the night, as I am crying out to him, I don't need to be zapped with a lightning bolt. I need to be held in the arms of the great father of God himself. <clears throat> then he says this, though. After giving us that answer, God forbid, you don't understand God if you, if you charge him with unrighteousness in this matter. He says, listen, you misunderstand what election is anyway. Because listen to what he says. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You want to know what the election of God is all about? 
It's about the mercy and compassion of God. Because you see, he goes on to say, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. In other words, you can't will your way to heaven. You couldn't run your way to heaven. You can't choose him enough or do enough good works to get yourself to heaven. And that's why he had compassion and mercy on his people. Because he knew you couldn't do that. He didn't predestinate somebody to hell. We were going to hell. But the mercy and compassion of God is demonstrated in his electing grace and in predestinating us to be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, wow. That's what saves us from our sins when Jesus came to die for those people. By the way, let me also say this. We read Romans 8 and verse 29, and sometimes people get this idea that, well, election is God looking down through time and seeing what you would do and therefore choosing you to be in heaven. <laughs> well, half of that's true. We'll not turn there, but in Psalm 14, we read that the Lord did look down through time upon the children of men to see if there were any that did good, if there were any that would follow him. And basically he says, they, are, they have all gone out of the way. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So that part's true. And I'm thankful that that is not what election is all about because if that's what election was about and he looked down through time to see what I would do, <laughs> oh my, in and of myself, all I would do is reject him and cause him grief by being the sinner that I am. No, it doesn't say for what he foreknew in Romans 8 and verse 29. He didn't foreknow things. He didn't foreknow what we would do. It says for whom he did foreknow. Whom? And that means it was a personal foreknowledge. It wasn't whom he knew about. Whom he knew in a personal, loving way. As Adam knew his wife Eve and and a, and a child was born of that relationship as, as the intimate knowledge that we have of our family members and knowing one another. See, that's what God did. We are elect, according Peter says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Oh, that's the great electing grace of God right there. Something else that we are sometimes accused of as primitive Baptists, but we don't believe. We do not believe in a chosen few. You know, you hear that sometimes. And sometimes I've even heard it say that, well, them old primitive Baptists, they believe they're the only ones going to heaven. I hope not. <laughs> it's going to be a lonely place up in heaven if all that's up there is primitive Baptists. Uh, it's going to be a lonely place. I don't, the Bible doesn't teach a chosen few. As a matter of fact, the primitive Baptists believe in the most inclusive uh, Christian belief that's out there. And that is in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, we read, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, speaking of Jesus, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Just two chapters over in chapter 7 and verse 9, 
We're told by John, John beheld and lo a great multitude which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. Beloved, you can't number with a human mind uh, the number of people that are going to be in heaven. It's a vast multitude and it's, a, it's folks from every walk of life, from every nation, you'll find children of God there. Every people, you'll find children of God there. Every kindred, you'll find children of God there. Every language or tongue you'll find children of God from there and it says they were clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb yes beloved it's a vast multitude that no man can number don't ever let anybody tell you members of Zion Church that you believe in a chosen few because you don't the Bible doesn't teach that Sometimes I get this question. <clears throat> Preacher, what about, what about my case where I'm a struggling sinner, <clears throat> but I believe in Christ. I trust Him. I trust that He's the Savior that I need, and I want to be with Him. I have a desire for Christ. What, what about that person? Well, let me, let me tell you this. Primitive Baptists do not believe that there's anyone out there who desires and trusts Christ who will be in hell one day. They say, I had one person ask me one time, I just struggle, I hope I'm going, I want to go to heaven so bad, but I just, is it the case that, it, that, that, that I just can't go uh, if I wasn't chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? What about that person who is out there? They say, isn't there somebody out there who is wanting to go to heaven with a sincere heart, desiring Christ with a sincere heart, and yet, because they weren't chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, they're going to hell. I say unto you, that is a fictional character. <laughs> that person does not exist. If there's anyone out there who has a desire for Christ in their hearts, who is wanting to be in heaven with Him, who has sees themselves as the sinners that they are and is convicted by that sin, let me tell you, beloved, that's the strongest evidence there is that they're children of God. That they were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We do not believe that someone out there who trusts Christ with a sincere heart is yet going to hell. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 clears that up pretty well. It says the natural man. Now that's the, the man who's only been born in nature. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And he goes on to tell a little bit more about it. He says, there are two things. There are foolishness unto him. It says, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. So, so the one who's not been born again, the one who's only been born in nature, two things about that person. First of all, these things I'm preaching to you this morning, or any preacher anywhere that says the name of Jesus, anything they're preaching to him about him, they're foolishness unto him. He's not interested in those things. And the second thing is this. It's not a matter of educating him. <laughs> Something else has got to happen to him because he cannot see them. He cannot know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Think about this. We've had several funerals in this old church through the years. And the undertaker always lays the casket out here. Often they'll have an open casket and the person will be laying there uh, dead in the casket. And, and how foolish would it be for me as a preacher 
to come down from here and to start trying to strike up a conversation with this person. What if I picked up this glass of water and walked down to the casket and said, here, you want some water? Y'all think I was crazy. <laughs> I would be. <laughs> I would be. Because that man's dead to the things in the physical realm. That man's not alive and cannot receive things physically. That's the definition of death is that they cease to function in the realm to which they're dead. Same thing happens on a spiritual level. One who is spiritually dead is inoculated to and immune to and not interested in the things of God. They're foolishness unto him, and he can't know them anyway. <laughs> We're in such a condition in our human nature, beloved, that we would not come to him if we could. And we could not come to him if we would. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. But praise God, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. <laughs> and I will raise him up the last day. That's not coming to him and joining the church or being baptized. That's coming to him in the new birth. Remember what Romans 8 verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Whom he did predestinate, then he also called that's the calling of the holy spirit before the new birth there is no spiritual life but afterwards there is life you know when the baby's born he doesn't start crying to get born he cries because he's been born and that's what we're talking about here there is there is no one out there who is crying out with a sincere heart to the lord who's not already been born again spiritually Amen. you see that's, that's, the, that's the glory. I tell you, that's, I'm just, I'm fast forwarding a little more than I intended, but let me tell you, that's the beauty of understanding the truth of God's grace. Because I don't know about you. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I want you to think about it, Sidney. How many times this morning have you committed a sin? Hmm? I mean, I don't even want to admit it to you. I, I, I could multiple times already this morning a wicked thought has come through my mind or, or I did something or said something I shouldn't do. And beloved, that's sin in the mind of God and it deserves death and hell. How many times even this day have you done? Beloved, I need a God who loved me more than to just cast me away because I can't live the way he says that I need to live. Now listen, I need to try. And he talks about it. we're ordained unto good works that we should walk in them. He didn't say we shall walk in them. That'd be absolute predestination. He just said we've ordained to good works that we ought to. We should walk in them. But we're not walking in them to try to get to heaven. I cannot work my way to heaven, beloved. Because I don't have the ability. There was a thief on a cross. There was a thief on a cross. And I want you to understand something. There were two thieves, actually. One on each side of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 44. Sometime turn there and look at it and you'll see that after calling the roll of all those people that were passing by and they were mocking and cursing him and, and, and making fun of Jesus, it says the thieves, plural, that means both of them. The thieves also cast the same in his teeth. They were doing the same thing. So you didn't have one, you know, I always heard you had one good thief, one bad thief. No, you had two bad thieves. You had two wicked men on the cross, Okay. There wasn't one with a little tender heart and one with a hard heart. There were two with hard hearts. And then sometime in the middle 
of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging there for six hours on that cross, something changed in the heart of one of those thieves. One of them kept cursing him and kept swearing at him and kept mocking him and said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He was still thinking about himself. The other one, you know what? Who had been saying the same thing. Suddenly, something changed. And he said, don't you see, man? We're getting exactly what we deserve, but this man had done nothing amiss. And then he made a statement. You th- you, people sometimes say, well, he was saved after he called on him. Let me, let me tell you something. He was saved before he called on him. Okay? He wouldn't have called on him if he hadn't already been born of the Spirit because that, the greatest statement of faith we find anywhere in the Word of God is, found, is made by that thief there on the cross when he looked at this man whose visage was so marred beyond any man who had been beaten, had been scourged, had, his hair had been plucked out of his face. He looked like nothing he looked nothing like a king. He looked nothing like one with a kingdom. And lady looked at him and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't look like a king. He didn't look like a Lord. But the heart of faith that the Holy Spirit had given this man saw something different. He said, Lord, remember me. Now, you know what the Lord said? He looked at him and he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I believe that thief was born with the Spirit right there on the cross, Brother Mackie. I believe he was born again right there. Not after he called on him, but before. Because a baby don't start crying until he's born. <clears throat> His poor mom and daddy probably thought he's in hell. I don't know if they ever even read the book of Luke. Probably didn't. They probably went to their graves. And if they were children of God, woke up in heaven and said, Oh my goodness, he's here. <laughs> I can't believe this. How did you make it, son? You were a robber and a thief and a brigand. And up there on the cross, I even heard you cursing and swearing at the Lord. What happened to you? And all he could say is, could he say, well, I turned my life around, Daddy. No, he couldn't say that. Oh, I, I got baptized, Daddy. No, he couldn't say that. <laughs> well, I just, uh, uh, you know, I got educated enough to where I learned that this man was something different than what he said. No, he couldn't say that. But what he could say is it's grace, grace unto it. That's what he could say. It was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that got me to where I am today. Oh, praise God. That's the kind of, that's the kind of good news that I need on a day like today. So, what do we believe? Well, I've kind of covered most of that, but let me just say it this way. We're not Calvinists. We don't believe all those things that John Calvin taught, but we're not Arminians either. We don't believe that you and I have the ability to get ourselves to heaven, either through our choices or through our actions. See, what we believe is real simple. We believe that before time, God knew that we would need a Savior, and he provided one for us. Matthew 121. For she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You know, only a great God like our God could think up something like that. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul begins this letter here saying, Blessed be God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Look at all the blessings he's laying out. And then he goes to the, 
to the one thing that's the most important thing for us to understand the blessings of God according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Before time, God knew that we would need a savior. In time, in God's time, that savior came and accomplished our salvation. You know what he said on the cross in John chapter 19 and verse 30? The last thing he said was, it is finished. Praise God, I believe that. It was finished on the cross. He accomplished our salvation. And I'll tell you, in, in your life as a child of God, we believe the Holy Spirit will quicken you and make you alive. John 5, 25, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming, and now is, when they which are dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. You know, I'm thankful it's that way. I'm thankful it's not the preacher's voice that quickens one. I'm thankful it's the voice of the Son of God because that's the voice that can enter the womb of the mother who's about to abort her child and quicken that one and make him. You know, nobody's saved any different than anybody else. We're told in John chapter 3, verse 8, I believe it is, that the new birth is like the wind. It blows where it listeth. And you can't tell where it's coming or where it's going. It's so is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. We read about an in-womb new birth, don't we? We read about it in Luke chapter 1 where Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was heavy with child, went to see Elizabeth, her, her cousin, who was also had John the Baptist in her womb. And the child leaped for joy in his mother's womb. I believe that at some point between conception and death, every child of God will be born again just like John the Baptist by the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you something else. <clears throat> soon, very soon, he's coming back to get his children. He tells us, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, behold, I go and prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I believe that's coming very soon. That's, that's what we believe. You say, preacher, don't you have to accept him to go to heaven? I read in the Word of God nowhere about that. But I do read that we're made accepted in the beloved. You say, don't your good works have to outweigh your bad works? I hope not. I hope not. Because I'm, I'm out of luck. Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 that our righteousnesses, that means every good work we could do, is but filthy rags in the sight of God. Have you ever done anything completely good? You know, you say, well, I gave money here and I did that. I helped my neighbor out. Well, did you do it without any taint of sin? Did you have, you know, I, I always go back to, to, to several things in my life where I gave money to somebody on the street and I did this. Boy, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> See the problem? Pride. Always, oh boy, I did a good deed. There's nothing I've ever done, no decision I've ever made that wasn't somehow tainted with the sin of Adam. You say, preacher, don't you, don't you have to pray for salvation? Well, I believe in a, in a sinner's prayer. I just don't believe in a prayer that a sinner who's dead in sins can pray. <laughs> if you're dead in sins, the Bible says you don't, you think those things are foolish. See, I, I've heard it put this way before. Let me, let me ask you this first. 
Why would you pray for salvation when you don't believe you need to be saved? Why would you? Why would you pray for any salvation when you don't believe you need to be saved? The burden of sin, think about it this way. I, I believe in being burdened by sin. I believe in the conviction of sin. But think about it this way, beloved. You take a thousand pound weight and you place it on the chest of a man who's dead. You ain't got no problems, do you? He's not going to say anything. He's not worried about that. He don't feel it. But you take that same weight and you put it on the chest of somebody who's alive. And they're going to feel that weight. They're going to struggle with that weight. They're going to start crying out for someone to remove that weight. You see, life has to precede light of any kind. We have light, but we only have it because we've been made alive. <clears throat> Don't you have to believe in Him? Well, you sure ought to. But I read over in Romans chapter 3 that there were some people that didn't. It says, What advantage then, verse 1, hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because unto them were given, committed the oracles of God. And remember, the Jews weren't being faithful in this day. In verse 3, he says, for what if some did not believe? You know what the answer of the world is? They're going to bust hell wide open. That's the answer the world gives them. You know what the answer the Bible gives us? What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. You know what he's saying there, basically? You know, sometimes we think of people in the world as either believers or unbelievers. Let me tell you something. I'm both. There was a man that came to Jesus. He said, Lord, my, my daughter's dying. Can you come help me? And, and Jesus looked at him and said, all things are possible if you believe. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You know what he was saying there? He was saying, Lord, I, I, I'm believing as much as I can. I'm trying real hard. There are days when I feel like I'm at your feet. There are days when I feel like I'm holding on to the very cross of Calvary. And then there are days when I feel myself to be an outcast stranger here on earth. I'm both believer and unbeliever. And I'm thankful that the days when I'm not believing like I should. Do you ever worry? Do you ever get stressed out? You're an unbeliever, okay? That's what believing is, is having faith. You're not, if you're stressed out and you're worried, you're not believing and trusting in Him. There's days when I'm both, beloved. There's more days that I'm not, seems like, than that I am. But what He says is, shall that their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Praise God. He loved us before the foundation of the world. And you know, He's not going to let us go. <laughs> he loved us so much. You know, I, I like that story, Brother Mackey. I, I, that, that's the kind of love story. You know, I'm, I'm not into these chick flicks. You know, I'm not really. Hallmark movies at Christmas, I always dread them. You know, here we go again. Somebody loves somebody, and then they don't think they love them, and they end up, you know, messing around out in the world, and finally they get together. You know, always that way. You know, but I want to tell you, this is a, this is a chick flick I can get into, okay? <laughs> because it's, it tells about a wedding. It tells about a, a bridegroom. It tells about a bride. And, and what's so beautiful 
Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3 says, Behold, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. This is an everlasting love. It, it began before time. And in that eternity past, it led us right up to a point where a man named Jesus hung for six hours on the cross and divided eternity in two. And on this side of the cross, we've got eternity future. And praise God, every single one that He loved before the foundation of the world is going to be with Him in eternity future. You know, this life, I don't know about you, but it's pretty tough. My experience has been it's not easy. And the older I get, the harder it gets. Seems like all I do lately is spend my time in doctor's offices. I heard you hear Brother Mackey complaining about that. I'm, I'm about, about like Brother Mackey lately. Going to the doctor all day. Going to the next doctor all day. I don't think it's going to get much better. Solomon, the, the wisest man besides Jesus that ever walked this earth, said that um, vanity of vanities, all is vanity here under the sun. In verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. I, I experienced that. But I got a better story for you than that. I got an everlasting love affair. It began before the foundation of the world. It was culminated on Calvary. And it will be fulfilled. And you, child of God, if you're one who struggles in this life, and you find yourself to be a pilgrim and sojourner in a strange land, and you struggle with your sin, and you hate your sin, and you love the Lord, and you want to be with Him, let me tell you something, beloved. That's the strongest evidence I know that you're going to live happily ever after. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did foreknow, them He also called. Whom He called... Them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You're not glorified yet, but in the mind and purpose of God, he calls it as if it's already done. Because one day, and I hope it's before we pray our closing prayer, he's going to come back and bring us home to be with him, and he'll say, Behold, I and the children thou hast given me. That's, that's what primitive Baptists believe. That's what we believe the Bible to teach. That's what this church has stood on down the ages of time. I thank you for your kind attention. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.